Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Wall Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall. Elias, how are things going today, man? Uh, good, good. Today's a good day. I'm happy to happy to be on the show again. Happy we're filming again. I always have fun doing it. So I appreciate you brought that rain today. That's pretty phenomenal. I brought the rain? Yeah. Sure I did. You know what it makes me think about, though, is the rain on the first quarter that's happened this year. Yeah, it has not been a fun first quarter regarding returns, right? Yeah, and we, you know, for a lot of people, it's kind of an unsettling time just due to the fact that there's a lot of different things happening in the world. You know, most people are being affected by some level of inflation. In fact, I was listening to CNBC the other morning, and they, they made a good, um, kind of a good parallel and said, you know, if you're someone who has a healthy 401k and a good amount of money in the bank and you own a home and you have a good job, you still feel pretty good about things. But that's not reality for the vast majority of the population. The vast majority of the population, it's getting much more difficult for them to survive. And they actually, they already feel a recession. We think a recession is coming, but those people feel a recession. I, it, I, I feel like we're in one. It's happening. We might be. We might be headed there. I saw this morning the GDP print was minus 1.4. It was a super yeah. weak weak number this morning. But I started thinking about that. You know, we're fortunate. We have good jobs and we've done a good job saving. But there are people out there that when they go to the grocery store and one bag of groceries is $100, it's got to be really challenging. I know we've talked about this before. I used to go to the grocery store $100, $150 a week. It's like three or $400 a week now on groceries. And I'm not buying. I'm buying a few more healthy things because I'm still trying to accomplish, you know, my my new year's resolution, but it's not like I'm buying expensive stuff. I'm buying the staples, fruits, vegetables, protein. Yeah. That that's where we're, I mean, in our, in our house, that's where we're, we are feeling it the most is at the grocery store. Every time you pump gas. I mean, I just got so the other day I was laughing at myself cause I got so used to the, the cheaper gas prices and I'm never one that looks just cause I need gas. I have to go places I just pay for it, but it is painful right now. Every time I fill up, I feel a little bit of pain because I'm thinking, yeah, that cost me $65 and it cost me 40 a I year have, ago. I have two points on that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, me, when it comes to my hobbies, I don't pay attention to the cost, right? So I was down at Lake of the Ozarks fishing with Brad fishing tournament. So usually I'd just be running as fast as I can go throttle down. Don't care how far I go. I was driving about three quarter speed to get a little better fuel economy. Cause the first day I went out, I only had like, you know, a third of a tank. I'm like, yeah, we'll fill up tomorrow. I stayed within about six miles of where we were staying. I did all the conservative stuff. So I was actually conscious of it. Cause on the lake down there, it's like four seventy five, five bucks a gallon to fill up. And you know, when we filled up the, the first day I made Brad fill it up. So it was okay. It wasn't actually my money. It was his, but <laughs> the other thing I thought about is I drive a diesel truck. And I forgot that gas stations have a maximum dollar amount. They'll let you pump at one time. Yeah, it's like usually 75 or 100 bucks or a lot something. Of our but your tank's big enough that you get shut off. I have a 36-gallon tank. But I haven't been gosh. shut off from a tank. So the first time I've been shut down was just a few months ago. I mean, for as long as I've owned this truck, I've had this diesel truck a couple of years. Never got shut down by a pump. Now I'm getting 26 gallons 
before I get shut off. So you have to just fill up more often so you don't get shut off and have to go in. Well, I just I just take 26 gallons. <laughs> and leave, yeah. <laughs> because I always wait till the light. I'm not the guy who fills up at half a tank. The light comes on and then I'm going to start filling up. But, you know, it's been a f- pretty rough first quarter. Um, through the first 50 days of the year, I got a chart here put out by Calamus Investments. But through the first 50 days of the year, we're off to the fourth worst start in the history of the market. And we, I mean, we, we could easily get worse too. I mean, because the years above it is negative 23, negative 16, negative 13. So this year is already close to taking over third place, could take over second. You know, so it's that that's where we're at now. It's just, it is what it is at this point. The interesting thing though about this, Elias, I'm going to read the years and the dates, their negative returns, and then how they ended the year. Because really, it doesn't matter what we did through the first. 50 days of the year. In fact, I had an advisor no. in our office come in and ask me, he goes, Hey, tell me, how are you, how do you run your reviews for people? Are you running a year to date review? And I'm like, no, it's not that relevant. I run a twirling, trailing 12 month review shows how we did last year, how we did a year to date. I said, but if we only focus on 30 and 60 and 90 day periods of time, we're setting ourselves up for failure because right. it's and part purely of our, luck. Right. And, part of our job working with clients is to take the long-term vision and help them not and help them see that too. So if you're working with someone and I just show you the last three months, well, that's irrelevant in the short term, but as far as the financial planning and your overall investing picture, it's, it's, it's a small event of what's going to happen and what has happened. It's a small event. If you've done the proper planning, Correct. I agree right. with that. So, so if you if you're retired and you're taking income, it may not be a small event if you haven't done the re- proper retirement income planning. But for other individuals, it can actually be seen as an opportunity. If you know you're if you've already put together the strategy that you're gonna be doing Roth IRA conversions, well, maybe you consider doing some of it today. So let's just say we have a client and they're doing a hundred thousand a year of Roth conversions to maximize whatever tax bracket they're in. And we know they're going to do it. Well, why wouldn't you do a third now or all of it now? Just start almost dollar cost averaging into the, con- into the conversion. And here's why. The worst start of the year was t- year 2020, which I think most people would expect that that was COVID craziness in the world. It was down 23.2% during the first 49 trading days. 2009 was down 16.2 to start. 1935 was 13.8. 2022, 12.4. 1982, minus 11.4. And I would venture to guess, if I told most people that was the start to the year and said, now, how did the year finish? What do you think the majority of people would tell you the year finished? Do you think they'd tell you it was a positive year for the market or a negative year? Well, it depends on if they've seen this chart or not, but I think most people would just assume a bad start means a bad year. Okay, let's summarize how they ended. Year 2020, it had a it had a positive return of 16.3%. So let's think about this. We went from minus 23 to 16.3. That's a 39% turnaround. That doesn't include compounding. So it actually had a 51.4% gain 
Yeah, after from, day, the fir- from day 50 of the year to the end of the 51%. year. 51%. Yeah. So we have a, okay, let's go back. Client who has a $100,000 Roth conversion that they know they're going to do. They do a third of it because they're being conservative. They want to do some of it now. They got a 51% gain on that money. And, and there's not a person who wouldn't be happy with that. And now it was 51% tax-free. That's the key. It was 51% tax-free. 2009 started out minus 16, had a 47% return by the end of the year to give it a 23.5% positive return. 1935 started out minus 13.8, went up 64% from that day. End of the year with a positive 41.4. 2022, we don't know. 1982, Minus 11.4, went up 29%, end of the year positive 14%. So four out of the five, worst starts of the year, the market ended the year positive. So what I'm talking to people about is this should be seen as an opportunity. It doesn't mean it's going to finish positive, but you know you're going to do this anyway. If you're doing a Roth conversion or you're going to make contributions to a Roth IRA or you're going to do a non-deductible IRA, whatever contribution strategy you're doing, it may make sense to do some of it today. It doesn't mean the market's going to be positive by the end of the year. But I look at the statistics and the numbers and the worst five starts of the year all finish positive. Yeah, and the other thing I'll I will add to the to the conversation and I'm not talking about retirees on a distribution strategy. So I'm talking people who are still working and accumulating. The, the fact of the matter is the more the market goes down, the higher your future potential returns are. So from that perspective, if you're investing every week or every two weeks, when you get your paycheck, I can make a very good argument that the market being down right now is one of the best things that could have happened for you regarding your contributions and going forward. If you're for people... We obviously don't know the outcome of what the market's going to do five years, 10 years, 20 years from today. But if what it's done in the past is any indication, people that are contributing to a 401k, people that are contributing money, this was an opportunity for them to buy at a little bit better price. What's interesting though, and we said it was unsettling for people. What's really interesting about this market, Elias, is it's maybe the first time I remember that stocks and bonds are going down together. So that's what makes this challenging right yeah, now. This we, current environment is challenging. We had an indiv- a situation where someone has some money on the sideline asked if they should put it in, and they, they have a 50-50 portfolio. And we just went through what bonds have done for the year, and I just took the, the Vanguard long-term bond index. It's down 16%. So your safe investment is down 16% for the year. And, and how many investors would be shocked to hear that long-term bonds are doing worse than the it's equity markets? Most. And that, that does that does not happen very often. Very, very. Well, we've been in a 40-year bull market in bonds, so why would you expect that? I remember, I don't know what year it was, 2016, 2017, Jim Weddle, the, the CEO of um, uh, Edward Jones, sent a letter to all their clients, all Edward Jones' clients, talking about the impacts of rising interest rates on bonds because Edward Jones is a huge, they have historically sold a lot of bonds. It doesn't mean that's good or bad. They've done very well for their clients. But the president of the company sent a proactive letter out that said, look, you should be expecting that the value of your bonds may decrease in the future, which is good foreshadowing. It took a while for him to be right, but he was right. So I think that's something to keep in mind that that's making it very, very interesting. And 
one thing I go back to, and people always want to try to time a market or ask, should I own bonds? Should I own stocks? Historically, it's always paid to own stocks. It, it has. And th this chart here we have, this shows, it, it outlines the number of years that stocks have had negative returns versus the number of years that the returns are positive. And if you're going to play the odds, you're going to be positive a lot more than you're going to be negative. This is what I found most shocking about this chart. So this is back to 1926 through 2021. Clearly, we don't know what 2022 will do. But everybody's always worried about the stock market crash and the doom and gloom and, you know, trying to time this thing. Since 1926, the stock market has only finished negative worse than 10%. So lost more than 10% in any calendar year, 11 times, 11 times. But those, Only three but, times has it been worse than 30. It's never had a minus 50% year ever. So all these predictors out there, this is what makes the guys like Harry Dent or Jeremy Grantham, we're going to have an 80% crash. Well, so you're telling me we're going to have the one event that hasn't happened in the last 95 years. That's what they're telling you. It's almost yeah. like, you know, we live in Cedar Rapids and it, it could happen. So let, let's equate this to Cedar Rapids. It could happen. They told us we'd never hit the thousand year floodplain. It happened once. It could happen. But arguably it's ever happened in 95 years. Why would we create investment philosophy or try to time the market or get fancy with what we're doing around something that hasn't happened in 95 years? Actually, arguably it's never happened in the stock market. We're just going back 95 years. Yeah. And the other thing I've been talking about with people, because I'm very honest and open in the conversations I have. So I am probably more bearish now for the short term than I've been in a long time. But that doesn't mean I move away from my core investment philosophies of buying good investments, having a diversified portfolio and not selling when the market goes down, but buying when the market goes down. And I do think there's very compelling reasons to be bullish in the long term. We've seen we've seen data that investor behavior is getting better. And I, what I mean by that is there's a lot of data that suggests that younger investors, people 45 and younger, are buying and holding and having better returns because the average retail returns have been going up for investors. And that's part of the reason why. Um, and I just really feel that over the long term, I think... If you're not, if you're going to be an investor and you're going to buy stocks and be in the equity markets um, in the long term, even though I'm bearish in the short term, in the long term, I'm still very bullish. I think it's still one of the best ways to grow your wealth over a long period of time. And when the market's down, it should only signal one thing to an investor to keep buying, and it's a buying opportunity. So then I'm going to flip this around because. The, the All of the news is inflation, inflation, bad for stocks. We're seeing stock markets sell off. Talk to someone, it's different this time. It's not different. It's always the same. <laughs> it's been, everybody says it's different this time. But I've got a chart here. This is really good. It talks about when feds raise rates, what the impacts on stocks are. Because the big news is, hey, are we get, are the feds going to raise rates half a percent or 0.75 or 75 basis points? What are they going to do? 
then we're going to have these higher interest rates. Well, arguably, only one time in history have we had an issue with where we've raised rates and we've had what I would call a poor performance. Most times, stocks aren't phased by rising rates of the Fed. The first oh, 75 days can be a little painful, but more times than not, by the end of a one-year calendar year cycle, so 250 business working days or 250 trading days, the market's had positive returns. So if, if you look at, there's been like five cycles, 1994, 2004, 99, 2015, 1997. Only one time did the stock market not have a positive return over 250 days from the beginning of a Fed rate cycle. And Fed, it, it, Fed was, rate it was cycle. flat. It was flat. It was flat. So not even down at the 250-day mark. So all this noise about rising interest rates, Fed's raising rates, over the last five times it's happened, it hasn't meant anything. Yeah. For, from a standpoint of stocks. And remember, if you're a fixed income investor, things might get better for you. Because yeah, now you, the yeah. ability to go grab some yield might be there. And you can, we had a client in this morning. You know, do you guys do individual bonds? I said, well, we haven't for a while. <laughs> and he joked, he goes, why? I'm like, well, no one wants to buy them at 3% yield. He goes, yeah, I've got some at four, because he had some at 4% yield. He goes, yeah, I've had these for a long time. But just goes back, it may become easier for a fixed income investor to start driving some returns long-term from a, from a, you know, a yield standpoint, not necessarily from an accumulation standpoint, from a pure yield standpoint. Things are going to get better. I'm getting emails from insurance companies. Oh, we have great, huge rate increase, 3.25%. Well, that sounds good till you know inflation's eight. Well, uh, so, yeah, but, but you're right. starting to see that. People are starting to talk about higher interest rates and trying to turn it into kind of a sales pitch for them. Um, but I thought that was interesting because people, I think, think the opposite. We have rising interest rates, and that's probably a negative for stocks, and arguably it hasn't been. Yeah, it's... I mean, and, and this chart shows a lot of times it is a negative thing right away. But again, we're talking 75 days to most of most of the lines on this chart. They end up getting back into the positive within 100 days. So that's not really that's not really a relevant, uh, a relevant period of time for an investor. And, you know, with, with inflation, if you. And you say this all the time, if the prices of things are going to go up and stocks have been resilient over the years with inflation, if you really believe all the prices of things are going up, well, the prices of stocks should go up too. Companies will make more money. Stocks are priced on their earnings. So all of those things should, in the long term, benefit the equity markets. Well, interestingly enough, most people right now believe we're going to see a bear market. If you, if you survey individual investors because I've been asking people, they think it's going to get worse. They think the market's going down more from here, which we let them think that that doesn't mean we're going to make a, make an action on it. Yeah. I'd rather have people like right now in this environment, I'd rather have people think that. And then if it doesn't happen and we go the other way, great. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, the funny thing is we were talking with someone this morning and we talked about, you know, they were talking about um, 2001, 2009, 2020. And the wife said, yeah, you know, you actually, talking to the husband, said you were handed it really well this time compared to the past ones. 
And I said, what about 2020? And they said, well, that one doesn't count. I go, why? She too goes, fast. well, too fast. So she's like, usually these take a while. So I have this, I'm looking, looking through this slide deck, the average. So let's go back to the bear markets. Cause typically they've actually been relatively short, but painful, right? They don't usually last that long. So go back to 19, um, 66 was the start of a bear market down 22% bear market for everybody to know is a loss of 20% in the equity market that lasted 240 days. The next, you know, the next bull market was up 48% lasted 784 days. More recently, people remember, um, people remember like the tech crash, right? 2001, 2002. Market down 49%. That took 929 days, so three years. Well, and then in the middle of that, 9-11 happened, which did not help the situation. Right, right. So yeah. minus 49, 929 days, but it was up 102% after that for 1,826 days. The next bear market lasted a little over a year and a half, down 57. That was a financial crisis. The bull market from there was 3,991 days and a 401% rate of return. That's nice. I like that one. <laughs> I mean, people are so worried about the negative stuff that happens when most of the time things are good. I always go back to this um, Franklin Templeton back in 2014. I tried to have Molly find a new one. They hadn't found a new one. But... Franklin Templeton had went and surveyed clients about what they thought the market had done. Was it positive or negative for the year? And most of the time, and it was when there was like an economic event, okay? Most of the time, they were wrong. Most clients, anytime anything bad happens, they go and say, oh yeah, it was a bad year for the stock market, even though majority of the time the stock market ended positive. So, so I've been, my talking points on, on this, have been so when, when you're buying equity investments and stocks stock market investments so there's equity risk premium because it is a riskier asset class than bonds or other asset classes that are out there so i think a good perspective that people can wrap their mind around is when things get difficult like they have been this year and you have good invest good investor behavior I mean, you're still buying and you're holding on to the investments that you own, then things turn around. That's when you're rewarded for owning stocks. It's the times of chaos and the times when the market goes down and you stick through it. That's why you're, you are rewarded in the long term with more returns because you're taking more risk to get those returns. And when, you know, the 3,999 days from the great financial crisis, it's easy to invest in those environments when no matter everything you're buying is going up. Uh, but, but the current environment to me does point to having a diversified portfolio and good investor behavior. It's just, to me, it seems like we have these events and what always ends up working out, good fundamental investing behavior has proven to be what people need to do and should do um, throughout the different environments. Now, I completely agree with that, Elias. So I don't know if you've heard this one, but the other day I had a client who said, you know, if you could 
figure out when to buy and sell this thing, you'd be doing really well right now. Just talking about how choppy, you know, the market is. And we actually talked about how we thought there'd be volatility in the market due to midterm election year. Historically, in a midterm election year, there's a fair amount of, you know, choppiness in the market. But I looked them right in the eye and said, no, you wouldn't be doing well, and I'll show you why. And he goes, well, what do you mean, if you knew? I said, well, number one, we don't know. But I'm going to show you why you wouldn't do well. Most people don't know this, but if I went back to 2001 to 2020, so just the last 20 years, which if you think about the last 20 years, we've had three of the largest stock market corrections in our in history. Three yeah, largest, okay? Yeah. During that period of time, a person who stayed fully invested, didn't try to time the market, didn't did nothing, just stayed invested, would have averaged 9.52%. And I told the client, I said, do you know how much you would have made if you would have, you know, just missed out, just missed out on the best five days, which means you happened to sell and didn't get back in right away. He goes, I, I don't know. I said, your rate of return dropped to 7.04%. Compounded each year. That's five days, which those are the five best trading days, but it's still, it's only five days. Who knows when the five best trading days are right, going to be? Yeah, no one's, no one I mean, it's that. just, but here's what's even better is the person who says, hey, look, I'm taking a breather because I think bad things are going to happen and I'm going to get in and out. I think something bad's going to happen. If you miss the 60 best trading days, your compounded annual return for each year was minus 4.85%. So you went from this really great market over 20 years where you could have averaged 9.52%, but because you thought you were going to be smarter than everybody else to be able to time the market like no one's ever been able to do before, you turn that into a 4.85% loss each year. This chart here, this should be one of the most compelling charts for investors to look at and to understand you cannot time the market. You just need to keep your money invested. And so I had a meeting the other day, 89 year old client. So he's been an investor for a very long time. And he actually, he told me a story about the first year IRAs came out. Uh, he did the max, him and his wife did the max and they always did every year since they initially came out. And he goes, he goes, I've, um, how did he put it? He goes, I just, I just sat back through all the fluctuations since we started and I never sold and I just held everything I ever bought. And I go, were, were you rewarded for doing that? And he got a huge smile on his face and he goes, yes, we have been. <laughs> we don't, we probably don't talk about this enough. Like we talk about higher level concepts and why a financial plan is good and how to get the, how to get that optimal asset allocation by doing a financial plan. But at the end of the day, this is what matters. This is what we need to show people. If somebody just missed the best 30 days of trading, that is 0% return. 0%. Yeah, and it's boring. It, this is the like one of the most boring topics. And you know me, I'm boring. But the number one indicator of investor of investing success is how long you have been invested. Like that hasn't changed for a very long time. And I know people don't want to hear that. People want to hear, well, what strategy do you have that can beat the market? And what can you do? And all this, this is the most basic thing that you can do to be successful. Here's what I, I think we should do, because this would even add to this. I, I want to stress to people, 
missing the five best days. That's not the five best days per year. That's the five best days over 20 years. So that means you could be fully invested except for these five days and take your return from nine and a half to 7.04. So let's go back to what some of those days could have been. 9-11, what if you, I don't know, I don't know what the day after 9-11's return was. I don't, but what if you sold then and you didn't get right back in at the right time? We should go back and see what are the worst days and then what happened the next day. Like, I, I want to go find out what the best days were over this period of time, because this could actually tell a bigger story about investor behavior. When would people have likely sold? Was it after like a scary point in time or was it just a random occurrence that the best day comes? But you think about that. If you just guessed wrong once every four years and missed the best day. You lost 9.52% or you sat out for 30 days at you sat out for 30 or 40 days in 01 and 2009 and you got out during COVID you fall into this category. So Elias, we're talking about the best days in the market. The best day, one of the best days in the stock market was October 13th, 2008. Okay. The, the one day return for October 13 was 11.6%. Leading up to that day. So the market fell, Elias, from October 1st, 2008, from 1,164 points to 912 points. That's like a 12 or 13% drop. My guess is, and it didn't just happen in a day. It was down, it went from 1164, 1160, 1115, 1097, 1057. And pretty soon what happens? People just hit their breaking point. And October 9th, the market fell basically 9% in a day. How many people on the 9% day said, uncle, I'm out. I've watched this thing go down over 10, 12, 13% over a week. I can't handle it. And then, and then four days later in one day returned 11.6%. And you missed out. You're out. And how, how would you know, how would anyone know when that day's coming? Nobody would ever know. October 28th. It was down 10.8. So arguably, if you got out in on October the 8th or 9th because you just couldn't handle the pain, you missed out on that 10.8%. November 13th, you probably still weren't back in because now, you know, we're having foreclosures and people are losing their homes. There's another 6.9% day. November 24th, six and a half. You guaranteed you weren't back in at this point. So from you could have done everything right, Elias everything right. And November 21st, 2008 was down 6.3. So from 2001 to 2021, you could have done everything right, except bailed out for two months during the great financial crisis. And you lowered your average rate of return by 2% a year. That you think see, how that, shocking that, that that's is. That's crazy and, to me. Yeah. But it's the time when people would have got out. It's, the height of all fear, you know, would be, be interesting to put next to this is the VIX, the volatility index, <laughs> yeah. consumer sentiment. We can start lining all these charts up and I guarantee you it's exactly when someone hits their breaking point that they can't handle being in this market anymore and they get out and they miss all the best days and they lose 2% a year compounded over 20 years. Yeah. So what sticks out to me about this list of the 10 best trading days from 2002 to 2022 they all happened in 2008 2009 and 2020 
So scary events and bad markets. And it still doesn't change the fact that people who were good investors and acted like successful investors were rewarded. So I'm looking at this and I'm looking at 2020, which people remember what they did in 2020. And the best trading days are March 13th and March 24th. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure people had time to get out yet when that happened. I want to say the country actually went into a lockdown. Well, maybe they could have. I want to say that lockdown was like the first or second week of March. I remember watching the, the NBA game where Rudy Gobert found out he had COVID and they shut down the NBA. That night, they said the NBA's done. I was sitting with a buddy in my garage and we're watching the game and all of a sudden they shut down the game. We're like, oh man, this is real. Like the NBA's done. But what I mean is- When I'm, sports went away, that's when we knew it was serious. <laughs> yeah. When the NBA said our season's over, we'll get serious. But what I'm saying is I'm not sure people had time to bail. I feel like a lot of people bailed after this because it kept getting precipitously worse through May. And then it started to run back because I know I had clients calling and they wouldn't have been out at this time just because we weren't sure what was really happening. Right. And and I, I can only speak for the experience of our clients and how our clients act and and I know even in 2020, we had very few phone calls for panic selling. Um, even right now, we haven't had any. And I, I think it does highlight our firm's ability to um, educate our clients and set the expectation of how markets work and how how we're going to stay invested and convicted in what we're doing. With that said, Elias, I think that's the best way to end the show. Till next time, I hope everybody... Jeez. Until next time, I hope everybody enjoyed listening. If you need any help, you can go to btwellshow.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.